Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. As always, I'm your host, Jolene, and I have with me today, Maz. Maz, would you like to say hello? Hello, I'm Maz. (laughs) How would you describe your gender? Ooh, multifaceted. Yeah, I would say it's really complicated. It's it's been a difficult process in actually like <laughs> conceptualizing it because genders. I mean, the name of the podcast nails it. Genders kind of fucked anyway. Um, it feels I've always felt like. You know, there's, I'm getting off off track already. (laughs) There's this common sentiment of like an argument over whether or not you need dysphoria to be trans. And I feel like my specific nuance on that is that I never felt dysphoria in my birth, sex, and gender, you know? I never felt dysphoria in that, because I've always felt like that is me. However, the dysphoria comes from um, that static state. I feel like my gender is too fluid to be locked into one physical state of being, and so the issue comes in not being able to change at will you know what i mean okay yeah i can certainly understand that um not being able to change at will okay and when did you kind of i guess become aware of the possibility of sex changing and how sex changes and so that's actually a really fun story when i was (laughs) i feel like this is probably a really common common experience when i was uh, about i don't know in second grade or so um i became best friends with this kid in my tiny podunk hometown um and he well we were friends before but that was when we really were like this is us with this is our duo you know what i mean and um early on we started talking about he 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 came to me one one day and was like i i have been thinking a lot i heard this word i heard this word that was um that i can't stop thinking about and and it's it's called trans it's when it's when you want to be a girl and i was like oh okay interesting uh don't all boys think that (laughs) (laughs) and so then the two of us stayed about in that exact state for several years almost a decade um 
but like over that time we talked about it a lot more he like started seeing a uh a gender therapist is just how he he described it and like that's kind of vague there's a lot of different types of of a gender therapist but um yeah i mean those... I, no I noticed that you're saying he for this person so i yeah. assume that it's um... oh i'll get to that uh but uh but he uh, he is he has chosen to stay. He has chosen to remain masculine presenting. Um, okay, it's a little bit of a sad story. But that's that's his personal journey, and I don't want to get too much into his decision on that. More just how he influenced me in his journey. For um, sure. And so when when we started getting to be about teenagers. Um, he started seeing this therapist and um, that's when I learned the word dysphoria was through him. Um, and again, I was like, I don't think that I have that because I don't feel wrong in my body. So that's not me. And um, so this whole time I'm like, I'm not trans. I don't feel wrong being a man. You know, I just think about being a woman all the time and have dreams about it and can't stop imagining it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and he was much the same way. And then we got older, uh, being in a tiny town in a very red state as a teenager, it's, it's hard not to just there's propaganda everywhere. And so we kind of turned bitter against it around 14. Um, and religious trauma has everything to do with that. Um, right. I was going to ask if um, this friend was also Mormon. Yeah. Yup. Pretty much everybody in my town was. Right. There's about 700 people total in the town. Mm -hmm. And, and... Um, about four or five hundred people in all of the wards in the main city limits. Um, huge, huge population, huge percentage of LDS people. And, like, we saw people from our school come out as gay and basically never spoken about again, or come out as trans and have to leave the state so that nobody attacks them all the time. And it's like, we heard that from the perspective of it's okay to attack them all the time. And so our teenage years were really rough for both of us, kind of for different reasons. I never really, I was always a very objective person. Uh, I, I, It's hard for me to, fall for propaganda because I don't like being manipulated in general and I can always tell when it's happening so I try to like actively shy away from it but it's hard when you know that's coming from your parents and your family and your church and so I I did I did okay in that I never bought into the far right just culture um i i i hung on the fringes because it was safer at the time 
And then I started going online more and talking to people, actual queer people. Um, not actual, I shouldn't say it like that. Actual as in not just stories about queer people that we've heard. You know what I mean? And I started... It was it was really beautiful the way that the moment I realized I might be attracted to men, there were so many people that I already knew at the time who ushered me into accepting that. And when I was about 17, my other friend, Dylan, came out as gay to me. That's what started me really coming out in terms of sexuality to myself. Um, because you know that growing up, I, I had a lot of, I have a lot of siblings. I've got so many. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, um, but I have four older sisters and uh, my brothers had already moved out of the house by the time I was old enough to think. And so uh, it was really just me and my four sisters. And so they would all be talking about all these men they had crushes on and blah, 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 blah. And in my head, I think, yeah, that's an attractive man. But I was like, is that, is that gayness? Is that gay? Is that gayness? Is that, is that me being gay? Or is it just, is it gay? And, and I, when I actually started, had somebody who was like, this is what it's like to be gay for me. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it's like. Okay. All right. This is gay. And then I, you know, myself more, distanced myself from the church and from that culture of repression. And I, it seemed like my friend was doing the same. I was trying to pull him with me, you know, pull him out of the mud. Um, Right as we were graduating, though, his parents split, and he uh, moved to Utah. Um, before me, I was working on a construction site at the time, but um, he moved to Utah. So then suddenly, neither of us had each other physically to like talk to and support and pick up to go get a drink when they're just really not doing good. But um, so then we were separated. It felt weird. It was off. And both of us were super depressed. I moved out to Utah after I got fired from that construction job for bullshit reasons, by the way. Oh, that job. Who? <laughs> Man, different topic. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I moved out to Utah and we hung out a bit and it seemed like he was doing better, you know, like. He picked out a name and um, he's really good artist. He loves anime. He loves drawing cartoons and that style. He's so good at it. And he started drawing himself as a girl. And like, you know, that makes me feel good. He asked me to take him out to buy 
women's shoes just so that he could have something that's women's clothes that isn't obviously women's clothes. And it's like, through that, I started also wanting the things. I started opening that up to myself as well. And then also, it was, I felt like we might get free. And then he moved back to Idaho because his job out here was shitty. Moved back to Idaho, moved back in with his dad, which, I mean, his dad isn't a bad guy. His dad is a pretty decent guy. He works hard. He's a Mormon. That's just the, that's just the area we live in. He's not necessarily even terrible one. But his mom is a little bit manipulative and she is absolutely hardcore psycho Mormon. Um, I don't know. I don't. It really, it really just came down to once he was back in that city, he was back in that mindset. And now I'll send him things. I'll text him about my own experiences. I'll send him a picture of Goku wearing the trans colors and he'll be like, oh, I'm not into that stuff anymore. And you know, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that is really, that is really painful. Um, that sounds extremely painful, actually. Sorry. No, no, it's not. It's okay. Sometimes this show is a bummer or um, we have to talk about these things. It sounds really, um, I'm really interested, though, in sort of like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, like your, your sort of friendship with this person. And um, I, the, I don't think it's a hopeless case. I think that with I don't think there's such a thing as a hopeless case. Exactly. I think I that with the with all of the progress and the growth that I've seen in both of us growing up, I think part of me feels guilty and responsible for not hanging out with him more and bringing him to queer events and but i mean then i remember that i invited him out to those things a lot and he didn't really he was like i'm not that kind of trans person and i was like okay that's sad and transphobic yeah because it comes from a place of self-hate exactly and the whole time i've just been saying like listen, I don't care at all. I don't care if you don't transition. I would love for you to go through this journey of gender exploration and find out that you're a man. That's beautiful to me. But I don't want you to reject the thought. I don't want you to not look because you don't want to know. Yeah. And that feels, it feels like that's sort of the position that. And um, then it also feels that like, whenever he phrases it that way, what does he think about my journey? What does he even consider? What, how does he think of me at all? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's, 
those are all, I think, important questions for that kind of um, for that sort of that sort of relationship and that sort of um, yeah. Yeah, and like I've 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 worked through my own feelings about it. I've accepted the situation objectively. And I've allowed myself to be hurt by it, but that's because I'm much more mature now than I was in high school. I mean, like, it's the kind of thing that you don't realize is trauma until you start unpacking your trauma. Yeah. You're like, oh, wait, this was in here the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> right. Just look under the hood. Yeah. Exactly. You were talking about the sort of thing that feels to you like, um, what's necessary for you to be doing gender right is to be doing is to not be sort of doing it statically exactly um what does that kind of mean can you describe that a little bit more to me oh well one huge aspect of that is my and also I'm insanely autistic, so this is also an in, uh, intense hyperfixation, but my absolute love of D&D. Um, I, I, until I found D&D, I had never really had an option to be anyone I wanted at any time. You know what I mean? And like me going out through my daily life now has changed a lot because when I feel something untangible and incorporeal shift inside of me i'm comfortable enough in my skin and practiced to shift my attitude my mannerisms my voice with it it's like it's like okay D&D kind of solidified its niche of attracting trans kids when they introduced Shape Changer as one of the playable races. Because my first, one of my first characters I ever played was this um, shapeshifter druid, who, which the druid class is also a shapeshifting class. Because <laughs> I also have this thing about birds and animals. I feel... I feel like my, the personalities of me that are a man or a woman or something neither or something both aren't distinct from the parts of me that feel bird-like and tree-like and river-like. I feel I've come to have um, an understanding of myself as a... Thread in the quilt of the earth and I don't know I feel like I don't remember where I why I started the sentence but I feel like uh I feel like the the ability to practice 
changing form among amongst a small group of close friends that I trust was an amazing way to prepare myself to come out as gender fluid. Yeah. That's where I was going. Okay. And so are are you out as gender fluid and like you're sort of my family uses the name Maz. Oh, and they know your pronouns. And they know my pronouns. And they make an Most of it. them use my correct pronouns all we, the like, time, which is not. We launched it by telling them my pronouns. <laughs> and when they were good about using it, we're like, okay. Okay. It's <laughs> okay. For, like, for, for, um, the, this... for the audience, um, yeah. this person in the background is previous guest of the pod. This is my lovely um, boyfriend, Sai. Sai. Sai's episode was titled, what did I title it? Fuck. Uh, it was like something like oh. coming out as horny at Brigham Young University. Yeah, it was out as horny at Brigham Young University. <laughs> so go listen to that um, if you want the, if you want, um, I guess, the, 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 the adjunct to this the episode. The, well, not the backstory, because... But the, the the two pieces that make something, I don't for know. Sure. For sure. Yeah. And follow them on Twitter at sci.nor. It's a burning trash heap, but I mean <laughs> it's still up right now. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I uh, my it was that's something that would have been unheard of when I moved out. I mean. When I came out to my parents, okay, I gotta tell you the story of coming out to my parents. Okay, so now I get to tell the construction site story because it's relevant. All right, I graduate high school. Um, my job that I had in high school was at a dishwasher in a steakhouse that I got because uh, my other best friend, I got a lot of friends um, because I transferred schools. So the best friend from the other school, his dad owned a steakhouse and he got me the job, but it paid terribly. And his dad would uh, gather all the tips from all the servers at the end of the night, take a chunk for himself and then divide it equally amongst all of the staff. It's not a great business policy. Um, I don't know sure that's that. actually illegal. Super, but uh, you know, not much of the staff was white except for the people who were related to the owner. So that was another problematic layer of that. So I got out of that. I didn't want to work there anymore. Um, it, it wasn't a great place. But then I, uh, my dad, he works at this potato factory. That's the best way I can describe it. It's, it's potato factory. <laughs> manufacturing manufacturing and processing frozen potato products. Anyway, okay. he, they were building a new manufacturing plant. And so he talked to his supervisor. His supervisor talked to the superintendent of the construction company and got me an interview. I got a job at the construction site um, as a fire safety watch. Um, learned a lot and I got heat exhaustion on the hottest day of the summer and they fired me for it. So that was, that was fun. And then I didn't have a job and I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't really know if I want to live. 
I've got a um, admittance and uh, I'm all signed up for classes at BYU-Idaho, but I don't know if I want to do that. So I'm going to go work in Utah, get a job in Utah, because I have had siblings down here. Um, I moved down, stayed with my sister for a couple months um, because well, I got a job before I moved down. We went down for a vacation. My sister work basically this is a long story of me getting jobs by knowing people um my sister worked at sykes and i got a job there and that was a really really good job i liked it but i had phone anxiety and it was a call center so that wasn't great for me um but while i was working there the most important thing was that i was out of idaho and the week after i got the job and I was officially moved in and everything. The night I was officially moved in, I, I wasn't even moved into my sister's. I was staying in my brother's basement, but I was in Utah. I had all my stuff and I didn't need to go back to Idaho for anything. And I texted my parents. I put them in a group chat. I texted them, I'm bisexual. And then I blocked them. <laughs> and... um. A week later, I unblocked them, and I was like, okay, now you can talk to me. (laughs) Because I was like, I don't want to hear what you have to say in the moment. I want you to do. And um, it wasn't great, so I blocked them again. (laughs) (laughs) A couple months later, later, I quit my job because I had terrible phone anxiety. And um, my car broke down and I needed a new car. So I unblocked my parents, and I was like, my car broke. (laughs) And my dad bought me this cheap $700 car, and I got a job as a delivery driver, and I told them, all right, I'm going to give you a chance. And the moment that you make me feel unsafe or uncomfortable, I'm blocking you again. And they were like, okay, we can do that. We can work. We can learn. And I was like, all right, perfect. Uh, That lasted about a month. And also that car broke down. And my dad got me a new car. I, at this point, I'm like, personally feeling like, oh man, I'm $5,000 in debt to my dad and I'm never going to be able to pay that off. That's another thing they're going to hold over my head. And it's just like, I started to realize even though I moved to Utah, they still had just as much control over me as they did when I lived in their house. And I got sick of it. So finally, after some stupid argument about whether or not to go into debt to buy a car because I needed a car that would last me instead of another junk or wholesale, I told my dad I was going to buy my own car, I was going to use my own credit, and I wasn't going to talk to him until he was ready to respect me as an adult and not his child. And I blocked him again, and I bought myself a car. And once I had my own car that was titled under my name, I didn't need to talk to them again for like a year after that. And they would send me Facebook messages, I would look at them, gauge what their intent was, and take it under advisement, but not contact. Um, I had, I, it was, when it really got bad was when my grandma started sending me messages and I was like, okay, 
y'all need to understand that if this goes further, you're never going to see me again. And that was, that's something I think is really important when somebody uh, is in an environment that is, What's the sort of, what's the, um, what, why is your grandmother messaging you? Oh, just to like, you know, ask me if I'm dating women and tell me that God loves me and. Okay, so, so she is like a part of this. Oh um, yeah, sending me those stupid uh Facebook mom memes that are all flowery graphic strict scripture quotes or general conference talks. Yeah, stupid stuff. Um, and I think the biggest the biggest fight, the biggest fight I think was actually over um, I mean, my dad said something along the lines of, oh, cool, if you're bi, that means you can still date women and go to the temple, right when I came out. And um, I asked him about that again later, and he was like, I mean, yeah, I would prefer that. And I was like, cool, blocked. Okay. And I think it's really important um, for people who won't recognize their own part in your harm that you need to make them understand that at that point, they need you more than you need. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you want to be in your, their lives, they, my parents specifically, but in general, people who can't or won't recognize their own faults. They need to be shocked or they won't realize it. They need their foundations rocked. And this is something, it's, I got the idea from my mom because she said the most fucked up thing I've ever heard anybody say. Um, I'm sorry if my mother or any of my family ever listens to this podcast and I'm telling all of our family traumas, but it's, it's y'all's fault. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she said one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard because my oldest brother, whom I respect so much, and if you ever saw a picture of him would understand how much I have modeled my life and gender presentation after him. Um, he left the church and suddenly firsthand i saw my future if i left the church i but kept my family around i saw the future of every time i go home i will have to bite my teeth or bite my tongue and roll my eyes and walk into a different room every time i post about being happy in my skin somebody's going to comment that they wish i would come back to church you know it's this insane thing where before i even realized 
what would distance me from the church, I was mentally taking note of how it would happen. And um, at one point, my mom said something along the lines of, um, something along the lines of my guiltiest thought or my guiltiest wish is that he would become quadriplegic so that he could have a come to God moment. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, I heard that at like 12 years old from my mother about my brother. Oh my goodness. Okay, so your brother had already left the church by the time yeah. that you were. Why, yeah. Why oh, did divorce. he leave the... And, and what? And gotten a divorce. Oh, and was that part of? Um, that was that was right? the start of the vitriol. Was when he and his first wife got divorced. Um, but they had already slowly started becoming less active. It's just that they were still they were around the same area that some of my brothers are now. Some of my other brothers are now, like uh, Daxon. Um, where, like, the church has meaning, the church had meaning for them, but they recognized its faults and weren't blind to the untruths. And, and their, their mature and respectful discussion of their divorce with our family versus my parents' reaction really uh clued me in on what type of people my parents were and what type of person my brother was um two very different types of people and my mom would always say oh kyle and your dad always fight because they're too similar and i would agree that me and my dad and kyle and many people in our family have similar attributes and personality traits but the reason why we argue is because some of us are content to listen to what we're told, and some of us try to find the source. Remember when your mom said rest in power about <laughs> About who? <laughs> the queen! <laughs> All right, interesting. Oh. Wow, that was very recent. I had to talk with her and she understands it now. Half of the children in the group chat were like, wait oh, a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's, that's, that's a really oh, interesting take. Um, oh, but anyway, right. I started um, I started to take the time you know what I mean? I was like, all right. They've stewed long enough. After about a year and a half, two years, they were coming to me being like, I'm ready to just ignore everything I know and meet you as a new person and try to, try to, uh uh 
uncouple our perceptions of you as a child with you now. And I was like, good, that's what I've been asking for. So once they started actually showing that, cause like coming to me and being like, oh, I love you, I accept you, reads more false than coming to me and being like, I don't know anything, please teach me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's, that's where they got to after a long enough period of silence. So I started letting them back in. I started talking to them more. Um, I started setting some clear and established boundaries. And the reason I haven't blocked them since then is because anytime they cross the boundary, they recognize it fairly quickly. Because I've never been one to block them immediately after saying something bad. I'll try to convince them first and then block them when they make me too frustrated to speak. That's how it's always been. I've, I've always given them the benefit of the doubt to prove to me that they are trying. And for a long time, they just didn't even care to work on that. And holy shit, when I, when me and Sai came to visit for Christmas, the first year that we were dating in 2019, um, which was around the time of the big block. Um, it wasn't Christmas, it was It was your birthday. Right, summer. Um, and they wouldn't let us stay in the same room. They wouldn't let us like they wouldn't let us sleep in the same room, but also they wouldn't let us be in the same room with the door closed without knocking on it every hour. Um, which is kind of just how I, I, I knew it would be. They tried to make it very explicitly clear that until we're married, we're not allowed to sleep in the same room before we went there. And then we got there. Both of us were hella anxious because of the tense atmosphere that they were creating. And obviously we had to sleep in the same room just to make sure that we didn't both kill ourselves overnight. <laughs> um because it's just a i just get really nervous especially idaho yes oh my god and my mom had like instilled a deep-seated fear of idaho in me as a child she was like they're so racist there and she like wouldn't let us get out of the car if we stopped at a gas station i mean she was right my parents didn't let me listen to rap music because they thought it was unclean i'm like not unclean in the term in the in the in in the manner of swear words because i started listening to nf which is some of the tamest cleanest rap in the world and they didn't like that even though it was religious mm. i had to nf was how i started bringing them around to rap i was like okay you instinctively don't want to listen to this but i'm gonna force you to listen to this because you need to broaden your horizons. And they liked one or two songs. And then I started introducing them to more. And then when they when, when I blocked them for a while, and then when I brought them back into my life, me and my mom have always, I mean, music is the most important thing in my entire life and always has been. And that is solely because of my mother and her wonderful influence on me. She's a wonderful mother. She's just um, Mormon. That's the only flaw. <laughs> And also she has a lot of anxiety and self-hatred as well. But who does? Um, but mostly, I don't know, I was looking forward to it. <sighs> I, I really wanted to let her know that 
I was trying to when I started letting them back in. And so I was like, can I so send you songs that mean a lot to me? And I started slowly getting her to accept that some of the songs I would send her would have swear words. And I wasn't sending her like the good stuff <laughs> because <laughs> that stuff has a lot of swear words. But you know, I was just trying to start out tame and like now at this point, anytime we go home, they have a room prepared for the both of us. Anytime we, um, you know, sometimes my mom will text me out of the blue and be like, one of the college students that I was, cause she went to college, she graduated from college. She's so cool. My mom is amazing. I love her. Um, she was like, some of the college kids that I go to school with are, um, I mentioned this, this term and I asked them and they said that it was, it was queer terminology. I wanted to ask what it means. So like, she always comes to me and like asks me like how to fit in with her students, how to fit in with her peers who are younger Aww. than her. And, um, my dad, <laughs> this is the most insane thing. Okay. Preface. My dad dad smoked weed in high school um, okay his parents like his his parents were mormon but they weren't active mormons and also then they got divorced and um once they got divorced the church was like "Ooh, fresh meat and so they instantly went to uh my dad and was like hey yo you should sell your soul to this church and he became way less cool he stopped smoking weed he still rides motorcycles, but he didn't pursue motorcycling. I think he could have been really good because he was friends with Keith Urban. And I'm sorry, what? Wait, what? <laughs> no, that's the wrong Keith guy. Urban? I always get the names Keith. It's not Urban. Keith's someone else. It's this motorcycle. He's a stump motorcycle. I forgot his name, but he was friends with that guy. And also, like, Keith Code? Huh? Keith Keith Code? Is that No. No. He's older. I don't know. Uh but anyway. My dad ended up settling for a job as a guy in a factory. And you know, he was studying to be a lawyer in college before he really I mean, he went to BYU because he converted in high school. He went to BYU. But I mean, if he hadn't gone to BYU, I think he would have become a lawyer. He would have been a good lawyer because he's manipulative as fuck. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to lawyers. <laughs> but, no, uh, it's okay. Oh. It's okay. Fuck no. love. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, like... No, I'm, I'm kidding. Really, I'm, I'm kidding. Really Don't fuck love. Love is great. Sorry. Sure. Love is the one true lawyer. That's love is it's, the best lawyer. Yeah. Exactly. But and and like from the growth I've seen in him just in the past year, it's immediately clear that the past forty years have just been stagnant. You know what I mean? He hasn't tried to grow. He hasn't cared enough to improve his situation enough to grow. He's been passed over for job after job after job. He always thinks it's because he's Mormon, but I think it's because he's autistic. 
and and he's just settled into being the strong, silent, humble patriarch. But settling into that is repressing a lot of actual emotion. And that actual emotion only comes out when he's tested. And he's only tested by his children. And which is how I grew up to be afraid of him. But I'm not afraid of him anymore just in the past year because of what he's shown me he can be. He's shown me that he can love instead of, instead of wanting to control. Hell I yeah. Like, I feel like his whole life has just been about maintaining the, the steady waters instead of actually rowing the boat forward. Okay, interesting. Sorry, I get poetic when I'm high. No, no, that's that's a, that's a very evocative way of describing it um and describing your father and what is going on with him. Um I do want to slightly um rewind-ish to yeah. something you you said um that that caught my caught my ear um about your brother um and specifically that you modeled a lot of your gender presentation on him um what does that mean what is what is going on um with your gender that it's yeah <laughs> sorry give me a sec you're fine take your time uh. <laughs> Yeah, so Kyle has always been very um, gender non-conforming. He doesn't feel this is I love Kyle so much because of his absolute apathy to towards social norms. He doesn't feel the need to remove his records from the Mormon church because he doesn't care enough about it. <clears throat> he doesn't feel the need to label his gender or sexuality because he doesn't care enough about it. He is my absolute idol in androgyny and self-love. Um, and I really do, I wouldn't be alive without my brother Kyle. <clears throat> He he was instrumental when I was six. He made it he made it his job to make sure that I understood Carl Sagan's theory of the cosmos. When I was nine, he made sure that I read the Odyssey and the Iliad. And when I was twelve, he moved to or fourteen or fifteen, maybe he moved to Oakley into a different house just for a little bit because he wanted to take a break and write his book. And he would invite me over every night and just watch Adventure Time with me and talk to me about what kind of writer I wanted to be and what kind of person I wanted to be and what kind of life I wanted to live and what kind of city I felt comfortable being in. And, you know, he made me think about 
the questions that a sheltered kid doesn't have the opportunity to think about. And he prepared me in so many ways for finding the ability to love myself. Which I didn't for a long time. Not really until I met Sai. Because I didn't... Sai coming out to me as non-binary, what is what solidified my resolve. I had been drifting for so long and I didn't even know how to find people to talk to about that let alone what to say. And they started the conversation and they told me what it's like to not just want to be a girl or want to be something other than what you are, but to allow yourself to change. You know, it's like, it's different. It, learning about trans people in a hyper-conservative environment, you only learn the absolute binary black and white facts of the situation. You don't learn any nuance. And any nuance is not only is the situation at large regarded with derision, but the nuance is regarded with scorn. Because not only do we dare defy the social norm, but we dare to do it in a way that's so complicated that they would actually have to talk to us to understand it. And so even if you hear, even if even if the news is about a nuanced situation, the watered-down version you hear on the local radio is going to be so much more rigid and painted with mockery that even if you try to break that down, you're like, okay, it's not mockery you still don't really even realize, you, you start to realize you don't really know what it is because if being trans were just about men becoming women and women becoming men, first of all, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make the world hate us less. But second of all, it would imply that humans are so predictable. There's every single creature has a bizarre variety of diversity. Uh, every single species of every creature on earth 
And to assume that us as perhaps the only sentient species in the universe, which is an absolutely arrogant mind view, but even if that were true, would our sentience not have just as much diversity as our physical forms? I don't know. I'm really rambling now. <laughs> no, you, you, I, I, I literally took notes during this because you're, you're hitting on something incredibly important to me, um, and important in my own thought, which is, um, right, that transition is not just about you know moving between um two boxes but about the fact that no. movement is possible and exactly. the fact that, the it, fact that's that, what i was trying to say the fact that not only is movement possible but in a certain sense movement is necessary right like in a certain exactly. sense like everyone moves um we we wouldn't be living and breathing and walking on this earth if creatures didn't evolve to change and become diverse Right, if there wasn't like this sort of yeah, the, so this, this on the bottom of, of the ocean. And so you right, nice. this is the sort of like, you know, it's it's this question about like what sex is. You know, um, I say frequently like right, like what is sex? Like what is gender? What what is this thing? And um, no one really knows. No one has a good answer. You know, but um. <laughs> It's definitely think, not like these these sort of you know the the thing that you see sometimes right like exactly the idea of it as this this static thing that is is not changing is is never think, changing is I think the only thing you can truly say that it is is identity and even that is heavily nuanced and subjective to each individual person but gender and sex it is. It's about your sense of self. And that is so hard to pin down into words, let alone thoughts. Like, to, there's this crazy feeling. I, I, I didn't really understand what I was feeling for a long time, where I was going through the world feeling like, my brain, my, my sentience rather, was uncoupled from my body. Not necessarily, I mean, it's, I, a lot of my, a lot of my childhood was heavily dissociative, but more in the way of felt like everybody else was real humans and I was something inside of a human pretending to be one, um, which I later found out was likely just autism, but, but it bled into my gender identity and my perception of my physical form as well in this bizarre way that can't just be described with self-esteem issues or body dysmorphia or dysphoria or or 
disassociation because it's all of them, but not at once. But all at once. And it was like, I was, I literally just, I have this, I had this sense of just being absolutely detached from the world. I thought that I was something, I was a unique and terrifying creature. And there was so many multitudes of thought that I couldn't control, I couldn't keep track of, I couldn't sort through, which is also part of the ADHD. And it's like, I... I... I didn't feel like I couldn't do it but I didn't want to. And my mom has even told me, even I remember personally doing this as early as maybe six or seven, but she told me that she's heard me do it as early as three or four, where she's heard me crying to God to kill me, which is kind of crazy to think that I've always wanted to die. Sorry, that got so dark, but it's heavily tied into that feeling of disconnection, that feeling of not being right. Maybe next time it'll be better. Maybe uh, if it's over, it'll be better. But but I I I fucked something up when I started out. You know, I I deleted system thirty two or something, and uh, something's wrong. Better to just reboot. Um. I had this absolute obsession with the idea of God turning me into a bird. And that is also something that I feel is heavily tied to my gender identity. And it's like, there's this weird feeling of if I had been born into a slightly more accepting family, I might not have wanted to die so much. I might not have felt wrong. I would have had somebody explain it to me early and it would have made sense. Mm -hmm. But anytime I like, anytime I would, I asked my mom, I feel like I remember asking my mom when I was like eight or nine, um, if I had autism. And she was like, no, you're so smart. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and then I asked her if I had ADHD when I was 14, and she was like, she was like, no, you're just, you're just unfocused. <laughs> That's the whole thing. And and so it's like that that idea of knowing that if I anytime I went anytime I they I let them know that I didn't feel like I could trust them, they would be like, 
you can always come to us to ask questions, but they don't realize that when I come to them to ask questions, their answers kind of shut me down and redirect. And kids know when that's happening. Like, kids aren't fucking stupid. None of us were stupid when we were kids. We may have willingly believed somebody that didn't have our best interest at heart, but that's because kids are so full of love. You, it's not hard for a child to be nurtured and cared for truly and unselfishly because so much of parenting is self-absorbed and that's just celebrated. Yeah, it, it really fucking is. Um, no other way around it. Like, it's... it's yeah. It is... We are out here. They are out here. People are just parents and... Yeah, no, I think... Um, right, when you're a kid, you kind of... Um, I think are aware of your own fragileness. And you kind yeah. of have yeah. to like lean on that in this sort of like okay well you know the only way that that's not like so terrifying that you like never leave your room is if you like right like have this kind of um support well you have this idea right that like well no one would actually hurt me right oh, like yeah. yeah i'm i'm a child that's that's not what's supposed to happen um and of course that's wrong, you know. Um, no one gets hurt more than children, um, I think. Because but. when it all comes down to our world, wants people to have children before they're ready because the selfish instinct of parenting breeds children who are easily susceptible to societal manipulation. If you grow up thinking that that's normal, you'll go into a business where that happens think it's normal. Yeah. Entirely. That is exactly it's what I realized, oh my god, okay, exactly, yeah. about Mormonism again. It's what I realized when I graduated high school, decided to firmly, the week before semester at BYU-Idaho, I dropped out of class. I, I'm a gold star dropout. I dropped out <laughs> without ever going to college. Um, I... Because I, when I worked at Sykes, I met some friends who, you know, partied and drank and were gay. And that was Whoa, so important. That? that was so important. Because suddenly there were these people, so many different people, from so many different types of backgrounds, who were showing me what to do, what not to do sometimes. But... At the very least, they were showing me the world, the real world, the actual world. And 
suddenly I was like, oh my God, this is community. Being queer is more loving and accepting of a community than any, well, okay, I'm not gonna say any religion, but than most standard organized oppressive religions are, can ever be. And just because those religions don't exist to help the people, they exist to fill a void that um, is frugal and specifically Christian. But when I worked, after I quit that job, and I, cause that was at Capital One. That was at, maybe I should It was the call center. It was the call center. It was, it was, it was rough, you know? It wasn't a bad job. I had really good benefits. I got really good pay. Um, but being a call center representative invites Negative. this really bizarre um, justification for harassment. And it's, I mean, no credit card company is virtuous, but the general atmosphere of the customers, no, the general atmosphere of the company hating the customers and the customers hating the company and me being stuck right in between that was terrible for my mental health. Um, and so, but then I got a job at Jimmy John's and Skechers at the same time. It was two part-time jobs. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm moving around. I'm active. Um, and then I got a job because that wasn't paying enough at a car dealership and sales. Oh boy. Sales is incredibly like missionary. <laughs> yeah, no, I realized is it that missionary is like sales. Well, they're both built from the same model and it's an ancient model and it's an exploitative model. It's a model of, I know better than you. So listen to me. And that is just, ugh, that, that was rough. Uh, that was worse than the call center. I, I, my saving grace was meeting a lesbian who smoked weed. Probably on Lexi. Lexi. Yes. And, and finally I was out of that because the sales environment, car sales, so conservative all the time. Um, car companies like car dealerships actively have um like most of them unless they're somebody's feeling something to break out the monotony most of them will be playing country music solely because it gets them better sales like, yeah for sure that's actual that's actually if i asked if we could change it because it was on 80s when i first started working there um they were like yeah it's on 80s because we got bored of the country music i don't know how long it's gonna last but we're gonna keep it on 80s until they change it and then a couple weeks later they uh changed it and after like a month i was like hey when are we gonna do 80s again and they're like oh no we only do that like once a year <laughs> oh my 
gotta stay on country music. We don't do as good sales. Oh we only do that in the months that don't do good sales anyway. <laughs> like February. That's so funny. That's ridiculous. That's insane. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, super. But uh, so and just like literally in training, they'll teach you how to manipulate customers. They'll teach you how to literally. They'll. My training in the car dealership was literally emotional manipulation tactic. It was like watching pickup artist videos. <laughs> it was, it was, it was disgusting. And like also just all the microaggressions I went under as an out person, um, out man, I guess at the time, but still. <coughs> It was oh, as like bisexual. Yes. Okay. It was like growing up, you know that people will say, "Oh, we accept people of all kinds, no matter what their sin," and that's an insane <laughs> sentence. But it really feels the same in car dealerships. Even if they're not religious, they will regard you with disdain just for not being the same type of person you're as them. Not, it's because you're not subscribing to their religion. Of exactly. That's what a car deal Exactly. Is. And, and, but the thing is, I tried to quit the, this is, this is just, it's such a good parallel for the church though, because I tried to quit the car dealership four times. I turned in my two weeks four times and he was like, stay, 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 stay. I'll, I'll I'll guarantee you a, a spliff, spliff, spiff. I think that's what it's called or something. I don't remember. Just a little bonus check, not a spliff. That would be dope as fuck. Side note: When I after I left that car dealership, about half the people I knew that worked there got fired for doing coke on the job inside of the cars. On the company. On, <laughs> on off of the company iPads. <laughs> Like that's I was like I got out just in time, but um, oh my goodness, I absolutely well just hated you it. weren't doing the coke. I wasn't. No, I was just smoking weed and drinking alcohol, but not in the car. Not in the cars. Yeah, maybe in my car, not while I drove. But um, I would. Uh, Yeah, sometimes this sometimes I would get drunk on the job and just not take anything that I would have to drive a car for because it was just I couldn't be around those people without something to dull the you know, it's like flinging daggers into your eyes every moment. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, it sounds really shitty. So wow. I got out of there, and then I uh, was high for every single day of the next month. Every moment of every day. I, I woke up, I started smoking, and I smoked until... I, and that month, my month of rest and relaxation, <laughs> oh, that was good for me. That was literally... It was literally a detox. Because also... The entire time I was spending time with one of my best friends in the world who was also gay. And so we shared common experiences. We shared 
common like thoughts and mindsets. And at the very least, we didn't hate each other. <laughs> you know, it's crazy yeah. to because like at the dealership, you have to be like, oh, yeah, this is my friend. But there's an asterisk. And by the asterisk, it says at the dealership. This is my friend at the dealership. In terms of people who are at the dealership, this is the one who I am comfortable hanging out with. However, in terms of people in general, they're still at the bottom of the list. Dealership. Lexi was just the most amazing influence, amazing person. Um, so kind. Gave me so much weed. And, and I finally realized I don't need to punish myself just for a paycheck. And then I spent the next three years working at a job that absolutely overworked and underpaid me. Yeah, that was rough. I was homeless a couple times during. Yeah. We lived in a house. It's just. We didn't have. Yeah. We had. It was a dog. We were staying with uh, my sister. Okay. But it was like we put everything we had into a storage unit. We had like a suit stuff. And right. When we were going to be able to live. And like, oh, it was because Maz had been like uh, laid off or something. It, what was I? There was a certain word for it because it was really furlough. I got yeah, furlough when COVID hit. Yeah, right. Right at the time. So I literally I, told my. Not only did we have to find a contract, my manager was we like, to, like find jobs. My manager was like, okay, there's going to be some furloughs coming in because COVID hit and they can't afford to pay all of that staff. And I was like, okay, but I need you to know that I am home. With, I do not have a home right now. I'm I I am struggling to even um, provide proof of three times the rent right now, and if I get furloughed, I'm fucked. And he was like, "Okay, I'll take that into consideration." And then I was the one that got picked. Jesus. Also, they did it over like a group call with a recorded message. Yeah. It was so insane. Jesus, that's insane. That's wild. Oh my goodness. I have no problem blasting this. Ashley Furniture is the absolute worst and most vile corporation I have ever had the displeasure of working for. If anybody listening to this podcast considers purchasing Ashley Furniture, it's fucked. They don't care about people. They just care about the fucking money. Yeah. Buy vintage refurbished furniture. Yeah? Why are we buying so much new furniture? We already have... <laughs> Not to mention that there are talented woodmakers who would make fabulous custom pieces who deserve to be compensated for their art. Sorry, I have very strong feelings about like, wood My shit's idea because I can't afford anything else. Exactly. But it is and at the very least, you know, IKEA doesn't pretend to be anything but a faceless corporation. No, they do. They pretend to be sustainable. That's and they might be fair. illegally logging. That's fair. Ashley, okay, all right, all right, okay. 
sustainability versus accessibility is a different conversation. Exactly. But Ashley Furniture touts itself as the most sustainable, the most um, cost effective, even though their prices are marked up by like three to four times, which is standard, oh, sure. but normally it's about 2.5. That's standard. And Ashley Furniture does three to four. Um, uh, but um, they suck. Yeah. They suck a lot. There's more about it that I'm not legally allowed to talk about, but they suck. In general, the atmosphere is a culture of uh, exploitation among employees and exploitation among customers. It's just bad. That's all I'm going to say about it. I'm done with that one. Yeah, we can we can leave that. Okay. Gender, gender for sure. But while I was working there, I started growing out my hair because my oldest brother Kyle did when he started leaving the church. I started wearing silver rings on my fingers because my oldest brother Kyle wore rings that didn't have significant meaning and he just thought were pretty, which is something that men don't do in Idaho. Idaho. Um, and I started. Um, really writing a book and that the best thing about Ashley Furniture was that I had a lot of free time because I didn't give a shit about doing my job because why should I they don't care about they me they didn't even give you permission and you what 50,000 worth of at first and then you get commissioned on top of and then they changed it to that. you have to sell over 10,000 a week and you get anything over that <laughs> which is much worse because it's hard to do that much in a week um but anyway i uh, i had a lot of free time because i slacked off because yeah fuck the man and um i wrote a lot in my book and I've been I've been dabbling in writing. I'd started a few books and then just not felt satisfied because I realized they were derivative. I realized I wrote an exact copy of the inheritance cycle. Uh, <laughs> I realized I wrote something else that was just tacky and stupid, basic romance novel shit. And I was like, okay, I want to write an actual good book with deep lore and complex meaning. And so I started writing this book, and about ten chapters in. I reread it and was like, shit, this is about leaving the Mormon church. I didn't even realize until I was talking about some obscure thing that I wanted to include. And, you know, I was like, wow, I'm writing a story where the main character doesn't feel like his story begins until he's 20 he doesn't feel like he exists until then because the previous 13 years of his life were spent under psychological and magical manipulation by an all-powerful wizard and he was forced to become that guy's personal assassin and you know that's that was how I viewed my time in the church. I felt like 
not only was I being tortured by being in it, I was expected to torture others by spreading it. So. Like, before you're ever even the right age to become a missionary, which ridiculous that they keep low, that they kept lowering the age. Yeah, you would be five years old every Like, did you tell someone today? Yeah. Or like you once, as soon as you turn 12, you as soon as you, as soon as, as soon as boys in the, in the Mormon church turn 12, you, you, you get the priesthood and you are expected to proselyte, um, in church, after church, uh, any day of the week, anytime, anywhere you are, always be a representative of God. And it's like, I was, at the same time that I was trying to figure out whether or not I even believed in the church, I was being pressured to uh, give my friend in high school mission talk, mission, mission lessons. Like I was, I was touted as the main participant, like, my dad was like, you should invite Skylar to Mutual. And I was like, what if he doesn't want to come to church? And he was like, oh, okay, all right. And then like two weeks later, Skylar is my dad's uh, home teaching companion. Something like that. Because their family was inactive. Mm. Oh, that's a classic thing, inactive. Just he doesn't want to come to church. Exactly. Anymore. Exactly. And also, I was my dad's home teaching companion before that. And suddenly I was with a random guy who I liked much more. I want to. <laughs> Being saddled with that random guy was the best Maybe day of my have life to because. What home teaching. Home teaching yeah. Is, what, is, what is this? Home teaching is. Surveillance. Literally. Home teaching is. Um, the church encouraging oh, its Oh, and for youth. women, it, it was visiting teaching. They yeah. changed it now. I forget what it was. Uh, home teaching is where the church encourages its youth to um, check up on anybody who was ever Mormon in the past and always knock on their door every Sunday asking to give a lesson. Okay. And, At Christmas, you bring them treats. Yeah, for sure. And so it was like, you know, once you I got saddled. At Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Once, once I got saddled with the random guy who was actually one of my favorite people in our community. It's not a random guy. I know. Every, I knew everybody in my hometown from the day I was born. That's just how small towns are. He's not a random guy. I knew and trusted him. Plus, he was heavily into the theater community. Absolutely so, so fruity. I can't believe he has a wife. But to be fair, <laughs> she gives off huge There's lesbian energy, too. Um, and, you know, for gay Mormons, honestly, the if you want to quote unquote fit in, the ideal marriage is a gay man and a gay woman because there's no worry that it's it's a, it's a mutual understanding. I feel like 
It's oh my god! One time, my friend at girls' camp, which is a camp to every um, my friend told me that her greatest fear is that she would marry a guy and he would turn out to be gay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> her deepest fear. Jesus. <laughs> That's insane. But like, yeah, uh when I got when I got paired with Denny Davis, I love that guy. I really do. Um we would only go out on special occasions or when the people that we were assigned to reached out to him because they wanted to hear from us. And that was much better. That sat better in my soul. And, um, and, but, but I realized after I started writing, after I got a while into this book and I started writing some of the backstory on the side and, building some of the lore, you know, I started realizing that I always felt, regardless of if I was welcomed in the home, I always felt like I was inflicting violence. If not on them, then on myself, but it was always there. And, and I didn't... I had to shut down. I had to reject exploring my sense of self out of fear of finding something that everyone else would react badly to. And it wasn't until I got out that I really took a breath of fresh air and realized that, that was torture. Yeah. It's hard to really kind of appreciate how bad something like that can be when you're when you're living it. When it's yeah. just every day to you. And it's also insane, like I said before, it's also insane to get out and into the world and even once you reject that and and set push religion behind you as i've done <laughs> um but i mean no i'm very open to anything that might ring true to my soul but the crazy thing is once you get out into the world in the world of corporate business it's all modeled the same it's the same structure it's meant to drag you in and keep you in and then the moment that you show any Unappreciation. It is a structure. For yeah. sure. Oh, absolutely. Mormonism is the no biggest pyramid so scheme. Exactly. It, that's what I was talking about. Is that if if you build a culture where the parents feel like that's the only way to raise their children, then their children will be more susceptible to keeping the culture alive. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, like, a thing I've seen so many times that um, people just wind their way back to religion um, yeah. when they themselves have to deal with, like, the idea of becoming a parent, or they do become a parent, yeah. right? Um, in a lot of places, it is kind of, like, one of the only ways to, like, raise a child. Um, and not just, like, in, like, a kind of, like, you know touchy-feely, like, existential, like, oh, how do I raise a child way, but in, like, a kind of, like, 
oh, the church has like, you know, cheap childcare or like this connects me with people that like I can, you know, kind of count on in some respect. If I'm not in the church, people might not bring me casseroles anytime that I get laid off of work or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like anytime you get something good from the church, there's this implication that it could go away at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very much. Yeah. Yes. And it's like it's meant to be that way. You're meant to think, oh, I need to keep this. I need to hold on to this. It would be bad if I don't. Shit is bullshit. Is like, okay, but you're the one saying that if our family is righteous, then it's it's saying like, oh, your family can be eternal if you give us set of your money. Right. And not only that, but they target people who have recently lost someone to spout that bullshit to. While they're in a vulnerable state, they're like, hey. Yeah, this is something Sai talked about. Um, you want to sleep in again? Cut out caffeine. Episode, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cut out the caffeine. Cry yeah, I was going to talk about this. Okay, uh, this is another way that my family has grown. Although my mom haven't, haven't tested these waters with my mom yet because I'm scared to. Because when I told my mom I got a coffee. Okay, when I told when I told my mom I was buying, my mom handled it fairly well. She just had a lot of weird uh, internal things that she needed to deal with. My dad never handled it well. Um, but when I started letting my mom back into my life, she came over time and um, I told her that I had gotten a coffee maker and she started crying. And like, I don't, I don't mean to say this in a way that is seems oh like mocking of my mother because it's not, it makes me sad that she felt so strongly that that was something bad I did. Oh, I'm sorry. And it was like, but no, I've worked through all of this. I'm I'm fine. Uh, I'm fine. But <laughs> no, she's literally like cool with us cigarettes. She now, exactly. So she understands that when I say I'm going to go take a walk, I'm smoking a cigarette, and she doesn't put up a fight. Some she'll she she'll tell me that she doesn't like that I smoke cigarettes, but she's also finally finally accepted that I can destroy my body if I want to, or I can help my body. Whatever I do to my body, it's not her decision. And that's that's growth that she's done. But like at the beginning, oh ooh, I I knew she would never take well to me smoking cigarettes, but I did not think that she would be that upset about buying a coffee maker. Especially when like there's so many other things you can use a coffee maker for. You don't have to just use coffee. Buying yeah. a coffee maker doesn't mean that you're only going to use it for coffee. Like, it's... Yeah. We use it for tea at the restaurant I work at. She knew that my oldest brother also had a coffee maker earlier, and I'm sure that was a big fight with them, too. But um, I told my dad recently, I haven't told my mom this, but if she 
I don't think there's any there's way. No that, way. There's no way that she would find this podcast. But like, if one Unless of my she has, if like, one of my siblings, one of my siblings find the podcast and send it to her. But anyway, the I I haven't told my mom this, but I told my dad that I got a medical card for marijuana, and he was chill with it. And like I talked to him about the concept of trying alcohol and weed when I first moved out here just to see what it would be like as a life experience. And he did not like that. So even that is some incredible growth. Like so I was there and it was in person. I was like, yeah, I got a med card for the pain because I just haven't been able to move around quite the same. And he was like, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're taking steps to, to help yourself. And I was like, holy shit, who the fuck is this man? Where did he come from? Where is he all my life? <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of my parents now, which is not something I, I thought I would, I would swing back into. <laughs> And they're flawed and they're still conservative, but at the very least, they hate Trump. And that's something. My dad is literally just... My dad, my, your dad says he's socially liberal, fiscally conservative. I think my dad is actually becoming socially liberal. <laughs> Because I don't think your dad is actually socially. I think he's whatever makes him look best to whoever he's talking exactly. to. Exactly. But like my dad doesn't, my dad has never really cared about labels. I remember asking him when I first got a government class, I was like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? He was like, I mean, I lean towards Republican policies, but I don't think any of them really have our best interests in the heart. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Like, that's how, that's kind of how I was raised, which isn't a terrible and honestly quite progressive view for middle of buttfuck Idaho. Yeah. But, like, it was still implied that the Democrats were ridiculous and silly and didn't know how to run a country. My parents were Democrats, but I also grew up in western Washington, so mm -hmm. for the, like, 2008 election there was one girl the entire we made posters uh for the election and there was one girl the that's pretty funny um in my, my school, mom like there became was... a citizen to vote and, and then she started homeschooling my siblings and she got radicalized she was like do you want to join my pro-life club we said no no yeah, but yeah, um, well, something about, something about... well, here, wait, I have a question yeah, that is sure. completely unrelated to all of the things we've been talking about. Um, but this episode is going on for quite a while, which is excellent. It's been a very good episode so far, but it's something that we talked about and we started talking about in the Psy episode and didn't really get a conclusion on, which is clown. Yeah. Clowns. <laughs> I'm not prepared. I didn't do my research I wasn't on clowns. Of this okay, let me pull up a let me pull up a Wikipedia. <laughs> well, what do clowns mean for you? To me, what do clowns mean to you? You're more of a vampire. To Are me, you more of a vampire? Did you listen to the vampire episode I just put out? No, oh, yeah, not I yet. Just saw it, 
Yeah, I, go listen to my yeah. interview with a vampire. Every I, time I open Spotify, it opens to that podcast episode for some reason, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I, I feel it's just like... that I mostly listen to podcasts to go to sleep, and I want to, like... Exactly. Um, I feel like... I relate very heavily to the, like, That, like, I don't know. Kind of like a tree. Well, yeah. That, like, but that, like, Canterbury Tales S. Not really, because I'm not sure if there's actually one in the story, but that kind of time period projection of, like, like a traveling minstrel. Real. I feel like to me. <laughs> You're a bard. For sure. Bard, for sure. Clown bard. Uh, that's yeah, absolute fact. Like All clowns are bards. It is a, a performance. It is bard. a performance art. Yeah, that's a type of bard. Is there a tumbling bard? Oh yeah, there's gotta be. There's a fighter bard. There's an acrobatics type of bard. There's all kinds. Yeah, yeah clowns are bards. Um, because it's really about. I think the word is jungler. That's the type of clown what? I am. Jungler. I'm gonna look it up. Oh. Give me a sec. I think, I think it might. It's definitely French. <laughs> I've never. Is it like a juggling clown? Yeah, for sure. They absolutely juggle, but they also play instruments. Um. This thing. Oh no, that's definitely that's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're they're just silly goofy guys. They've got fun patterned costumes. Usually it's that awesome. kind of like half of the outfit is one color, Hi, half of it is another. Hi. Sure. Uh, I don't know fashion. I just know clowns. No, that's like a thing. Yeah, for sure. I trust you. Um <laughs> uh, for clowns, I mean, for sure. Uh but uh yeah, I I really like the idea of somebody who rejects the idea of uh, remaining static in your life. Like, I've always wanted, I've always, I've always... You're like that image of the side that says justice privilege. <laughs> I've always wanted to be always dreamed about backpacking across Europe, but I've always wanted, I've always wanted, because that's such a white girl thing to say, but I've always wanted to be, I've always wanted to be a vagabond. Real. Because if you don't have, if you don't have anything tying you down, you can make meaningful attachments everywhere and you don't have to be limited to one spot. Also, I fuck with those sticks with a handkerchief on them. Hell yeah. Yeah, the bindle. Yeah. <laughs> I need to bring back bindles. I'm gonna send I'm gonna send you some pictures of some little genre. Okay. Oh yeah. Let's see. Yeah, but they're basically they're they're the musician clowns. They're the clowns that primarily sing and dance. As opposed to, 
you know, doing funny tricks or slapstick comedy or mime, different types of clowns. Eating yeah. children. <laughs> and gay people. And gay people. Pennywise. This guy is playing a violin with a rake. Why wouldn't you want to see that? That's an amazing performance. Sorry. Oh, wait, where, where is, where are you sent? Are you sending me these not, things? I haven't sent them yet. I'm collecting them first. Sorry. But it's kind Visually. of the image. Visually, it's very Harlequin-esque, but, and, and. Let me see the hat. There's, it doesn't have the pointy hat. Well, this guy kind of has a pointy hat, but it's more of just fluffy. Yeah, it's more like a cap. All right. Discord. Sorry for like honking in the. I have allergy. Okay. Pictures. Okay, I sent them. In the voice chat. All right. But yeah, um, I really like I really like oh, musicians. I've I've always wanted like the thing that attracts me most about creating my own music and art is traveling around and performing for people. It's not about I don't care like I don't care about I've pretty much accepted that it's next to impossible to it might be next to impossible for me to actually make money off of my art. So I'm more into the appreciation and the experience of creating and sharing art. And I really just, oh, you know, I love, I, okay. I went to Italy. We went to Italy. Um, not me inside. Me, <laughs> me with my choir. my choir group in high school. We went to Italy and we performed like these beautiful Gregorian chants and ancient Latin songs in St. Peter's Basilica, and it was absolutely an amazing experience. Um, but like on our off time, we're just wandering the streets, and we're choir kids, so our instinct is to start singing. So one of us puts a hat down and we just start singing the fun songs we have that are, that, you know, aren't Latin. And crowds are gathering. People don't really, I mean, people give us a few euros. Cool. We don't care. Crowds are gathering. People are clapping and cheering. People are taking videos. That's what we cared about. You know, we got maybe, we got maybe 10 euro from an hour or two of performing on the streets of Italy, but that was Fun hour. One time I was uh, crying at the dance. Right? There was a there, and I went to him, and I was like fully sobbing. Is it okay if I smoke a cigarette here? Yeah, do you have any requests? <laughs> and it was beautiful. Yeah, I just really feel like, and that's, I feel like the art of the jongler never died. There are a lot of different types of clownery that have died off over the years. Like court court jesters, that's that's different now. That's just Twitter. But but the art of a traveling minstrel has never died, unfortunately, because normally the people who have no attachments are forced into that life. 
and all they have is their talent. Yeah. Basically, um, support street musicians, give them a couple bucks, or at the very least, sit and listen, because they need somebody to smile and nod along to their music. That's so important. Yeah. It is important to support street musicians. Um, I agree. If you're a street musician that would like to come on the podcast, I feel like that might be fun to talk about gender Absolutely. and street musicianry. Maybe I should perform on the street and then come back on. Just kidding. And talk about <laughs> and talk about how your gender has changed. Yeah, I went to the ball for an hour. Here's what I learned. Oh no. But yes, that's I I love I love because you know if you sit and listen for a while sometimes they'll stop and talk to you and then you get to learn this incredible unique story that you never would have known before. You get to find a piece of realness, a piece of actuality, a piece of humanity out in the wild where it really it's been beat up, dinged, scuffed up, and cast aside, but it's still beautiful, just as beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like every day, closer my bank account gets to zero, the more real that future kind of seems to me. I mean, I have family that I have family that have gone, that have basically lost all of their connections in life, and ended up ridiculed just for trying to survive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um. It's painful. It's a it's a painful world. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I just I get really pessimistic sometimes, but the only way that life is worth living is if you try to see as much of it as possible. Yeah. I think that is potentially a good note to leave it on. For sure. Um, that's my general message to the world. That's a good one. Thank you so much for being here, both you and Sai, again. Absolutely. Thank you to the yeah. audience. Thank you to the audience for listening. Um, Thank you to Lynn July for providing our intro and outro music. You can find more of her music at tinytachyon.bandcamp.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. And thank you and to Jolene. Thank you. Yeah. Follow the show on Twitter at when a guy has donate on the Kofi. Um Yeah, follow just uh, Marlboro Murmurs. That's my yes, Twitter. Yes, follow Maz's Twitter. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely.